I'm Kendall. Thanks for checking out this message today. We're glad you're here and we would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way to do that is to text RiverConnect to 97000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and some upcoming events. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321, or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to the last chapter in Revelation, Revelation chapter 22. Man, it's crazy to think at the beginning of the summer when we started this series in Revelation that it would come to a wrap so quickly, <laughs> right? It feels like, man, it's just, we just got started in this book, right? Just kind of really hit some main points, but there's, uh, there's been a lot of good subject matter that we've covered over the last Several months, I guess. Man, it's crazy to think it's been that long already. Uh, But I hope it's been a blessing to you. I hope that if you're new here and you're just coming here for the first time, that you would take time maybe and go back and look at some of the the sermons that are online uh, as we have walked through this book, as we've kind of navigated through the book of Revelation. It's been a book that has been encouraging to me, just reaffirming some of the things that I have studied in the past. And it's just been a huge encouragement to me and a blessing to me to really walk through God's word And it's really important that I say this, and I want to reiterate this, and I've said this several times as we've walked through the book of Revelation. It's really all about Jesus, isn't it? Have you been able to see that theme as you walk through the book of Revelation? It's really all about Jesus. I mean, we go back to the very first chapter of Revelation, and we saw Jesus in his glory, right? The description of Jesus in the very first chapter. He's got the white flowing hair, white as snow, right? He's got the eyes of fire in his eyes. His feet are of bronze, This description of him in his glory, out of his mouth his words are as a sharp two-edged sword and his face shines like the bright shine of the sun. The description of Jesus right from the very beginning is inundated throughout all of this, this book. We walk through looking at the different churches and again we see the character and behavior of Jesus identified to the churches. And I love that Jesus does this. He doesn't go out in the world and say, hey world you need to fix yourselves. He comes right to his people. To his church and he says hey church listen I love the things that you're doing that reflect my character and my behavior but there's some things in your life that you got to fix there's some things that you got to work on and just as important it was for the church way back then and the seven churches that are specifically mentioned it's still just as important today for us as his people is it not it is and so we got to see Jesus walking through his instruction uh, the instructions he has for his church the characters and the, the behaviors that the church exhibited that reflected Christ, Christ was affirming and encouraging that keep doing that. And to the character traits that were not reflecting Christ, his behavior, his, his teachings, if you will. He says, hey, I have this against you. You need to fix this. And you see this theme of repentance tied in throughout all of the letters in the, in the, the churches. And so after that, we walk through again in chapters 4 and 5. Again, the one who is worthy. It's all about Jesus. He's the only one who's worthy, who's able to take the scroll from the Father, the one who sits on the throne. And then we walk through the very scary but very literal execution of the righteous judgment of God through tribulation. It's scary. I mean, we walked through that in the the previous weeks and months. 
And what we see throughout in the entirety of the tribulation is God's heart. The heart and desire of God and Jesus. Their heart and their desire is that mankind would, in fact, repent. That You see it laid out all through Scripture. In fact, one of the passages that really affirms this, you don't have to turn there, but Revelation 14, right in the middle of the tribulation, you see this, this, this call that goes out in verse 6. I'll just read it, just listen. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth. To every nation and tribe and language and people, he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. This is right in the middle of the tribulation. So you see the heart of Jesus even in this expression, this messenger, this angel that comes right in the middle of the tribulation to pronounce the gospel, the good news And the desire of God and Jesus is that mankind, humanity, would turn and repent and start worshiping the true God, the God that created this world, the seas. And after that, we walk through these collision of kingdoms that existed. These two kingdoms that are very much a, a part of our world. We're not talking about kingdoms of nationality. There's really only two kingdoms in a spiritual sense. There's the kingdom of darkness, which is ruled by Satan. And there's the kingdom of light, which is ruled by Christ. And there's no neutral party in these kingdoms. You can't sit there and say, hey, I'll let you guys figure it out. When you get it figured out, I'll just hang out with you. No. The reality is every single individual is part of or is participating with one or the other of the kingdoms. You either belong to the kingdom of darkness or you belong to the kingdom of light. And we walk through the different different character traits that exist as we walk through Babylon. This is a very vivid imagery. We saw the city of Babylon versus the New Jerusalem. We looked at what the ultimate outcome is for the the city, the kingdom of darkness. What what eventually happens to that kingdom is they are destroyed. Every element of that kingdom is destroyed. The city's destroyed. The devil's destroyed. His version of the Savior, the Antichrist, he's destroyed. The false prophet, he's destroyed. And it's all rooted in lies. They try to convince the humanity. They try to convince each and every one of us that they have the answer. The world, the the kingdom of darkness has the answer. We walk through the the millennial reign, the the reign of Christ, what that looks like. What his kingdom is going to be like. And how, I love this, when Jesus says it and when the scripture records that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more pain. There will be no more mourning, sorrow, or grief. All of those things are rooted in one thing. That's sin. Sin is the ultimate outcome of pain, suffering, and sorrow. And ultimately leads to death. And we watched as these two kingdoms collide. And we saw the victory that exists in the kingdom of Christ. In the kingdom of light. And then last week we looked at we have a lot to celebrate. Do we not? Man, we have a ton to celebrate as believers. When we know the outcome, we know the ultimate decision-making that happens, the ultimate final decision that occurs. We know that our sin will be washed away. It will be no more. We will be called sons of God, daughters of God. He, he takes us on in his family and he claims us. And he says, you're mine. And he chooses to dwell with us forever. We have a lot to celebrate. And as I was thinking about today's message and how to really wrap up this whole series, a question popped in my mind, and it's really the most important question that I think we all have to really come to a conclusion on. We really have to deal with this question. I don't care if you've been in church your whole life. I don't care if this is your first time in the church. The question that you have to really come to con- 
conclusion with, come to grips with is, are you ready? I want you to think about that question for a minute. Are, are you ready? Are you ready for the, the second coming of Christ? It's not something that we hope is going to happen. It is written in scripture as definitely going to happen. He is definitely coming again. And so the question is, are you ready? In Revelation chapter 22, I'm going to read just a few verses. Revelation chapter 22, verses 6 and 7, it says this. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. It's a guarantee. They're trustworthy. You can rely on them. What is being spoken is definitive. It is most assured. It is true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophet, has sent his angel to show his servant, this is speaking of John, what must soon take place. And he says in verse 7, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Let's pray and let's kind of walk through how we can apply this passage to our life as we engage in this final chapter, this last uh, message on the series in Revelation. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would be present in this room with me. Lord, I pray your spirit would lead and guide me, guide my words, remove myself from this time, Lord, just have your words be spoken. I pray that everybody that's listening, whether they're online or they're in this room, Lord, would hear your spirit talking to them. Lord, I know your desire is that we would repent and come follow you and we would be ready at your coming. Lord, allow me to speak your words clearly, articulate it clearly without stumbling. I ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. As I look at this text and I ask that question to myself, uh, are we ready? Are we ready? I look at that passage and the first thing we have to come to grips with in terms within our own life, as the church, as well as if you are an unbeliever here, is the guaranteed fact, the trustworthy statement, the true statement that indeed Christ is coming again. Scripture says we do not know the hour or the day, but we know for a fact he's coming. We can't sit here and say, hey, he's not coming, or we can easily get distracted in our routine of life and ignore or forget the fact that, oh yeah, Christ is coming. In fact, as I was preparing, there was a passage in Luke, Luke chapter 12, where there is a, a story that is given to us by Jesus preparing about this very subject. Are you ready? Luke chapter 12 Verses 35 through 48 say this. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. So that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Verse 37. Blessed are the servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself to service and have them recline at table, and he will come, excuse me, and serve them. Verse 38, if he comes in the second watch, or in the third, and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. See, the whole idea is, are we ready? Are you prepared? Are you awake? What's going on in your life that you have allowed to, to maybe take priority in your life than really understanding as we've walked through this entire series of Revelation, it's really all about Jesus. And as the church, this is really the, the main thing, and we'll walk through this in Revelation 22, where he says, this book is for you. This book is for you, the church. 
And so really this question, are you ready, is, is, is really directed at the church. Believers, are you ready? Are you ready for Christ's return? Is there sin in your life that you haven't dealt with? Is there forgiveness that you have not offered that somebody has asked for? Are there people in your life that you have been scared to share the gospel with? Are there neighbors that maybe you have been timid to share and say, hey, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Man, he turned my whole world upside down. He's changed me from inside out. And you've been afraid to say that. See, this passage, as we look in Luke, Jesus explains this passage even in further detail. Verse 39 of Luke 12. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left the house to be broken into. In verse 40, he also says, You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. This aspect of being ready for the church is very important. Are you you sold out? Is Jesus the main priority in your life? Or do you kind of just say, okay, it's Sunday, I'm going to think about Jesus on Sunday. And the rest of the week you allow your priorities to take over and Jesus isn't even in the picture. As this passage continues in verse 41, Peter asks an important question. He goes to the Lord and Peter says, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Let me put it to you in terms that I took it as. Jesus, is this for me personally or is this for everybody else? It's really easy to do that, isn't it? That's actually a comment we often say, isn't it, when we come to diving into the scripture. Lord, is, is this for everybody else? And you might even think, oh man, somebody really needs to hear this message. But the reality is, and I love how Peter and the Lord will answer his question shortly. Peter goes, Lord, is this for me or is this for everybody else? See, when we walk through the book of Revelation, it's all about Jesus. And Jesus is trying to remind his people, his church, that he should be priority number one. So when you ask that question, are you ready, Jesus answers Peter. And really you can imagine Jesus saying, Peter, are you ready? I'm going to give you an answer to your question. Is it for you or is it for everybody else? Verse 42, he says, and the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager? You could say servant in there as well. Who is the one that is faithful and wise? That's priority one. We ought to be faithful and wise as believers and followers in Christ. And then he says, whom, whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Verse 43, blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. So doing when he comes. This is the aspect of the question. Are you ready? Are you doing the work of Christ? Are you ready for him to return? Is he top priority in your life, church? Is he the one that you are focused about? Every part of your being and fiber is like, hey, the Lord is coming. He's coming soon. It's guaranteed. It's assured. It's a trustworthy statement. It's a true statement. He's coming soon. Church, are you ready? Are you about the work of God? Are you doing his work? Are you serving him? Are you actively pursuing him? Verse 44, he says, truly I say to you, to the one who is actively doing the work that the Lord has asked him to do when he comes to that person, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming, 
What does that mean? Hey, hey, Jesus is going to come. Yeah, I kind of believe it, but it's not for a long ways down the road. He's going he's to slow up. He's going to delay. It's going to be for, for a different time. Maybe it's, it's, it's 10 years down the road. Maybe I've got five years to figure things out. This is the concept that this passage is walking through. This is the passage that, that where you see Jesus saying, hey, if, a ma- if he thinks the master is delayed in his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, really what he's speaking of there is to act unrighteously, to live in a manner that is not worthy. None of those attributes that he just described there reflect the character and behavior of Christ. Beating your male or female servants, your co-workers, being aggressive, being being angry, if you will, walking in drunkenness, losing sight of priority. This idea, hey, the Lord's going to delay his coming. I can do what I want to do. I can live the way I want to live. It's not that big of a deal. I'll have time to prepare. Listen, the Lord says you don't know the day or the hour. It's like a thief. When you don't know a thief is coming into a home, you're never prepared for it. If you've ever been robbed, and I've been robbed, It was my car, not a big deal. I only got a couple subs stolen from me. Probably didn't need them anyways. It's when I was younger. I liked to jam with the subs and the bass real loud. Man, yeah, I didn't know they were going to come steal my subs, or I would have been sitting out there waiting for them. Probably a good thing I didn't meet up with them. They would have beat my butt, I'm sure of it. But the point is this. Hey, the Lord's coming. Be Be expecting the Lord to come. Be ready. The Lord is coming. And here Jesus continues and he says, Be, make sure your actions, the way you live out your life as a believer, is in, in line with the character and behavior of God. Verse 46, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know. And he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Wow, what a stern warning. These are right from the words of Jesus. And then he says in verse 47, and that servant who knew the master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will. What is Jesus saying? Hey, you need to do my work. You know what my purpose for your life is. You know what my will in your life is. That's what I'm expecting you to do. He says he will receive a severe beating. There's this warning that's attached. But to the one who did not know, who is, I guess you would say, ignorant of the will of God. And did what deserved, what deserved a beating, he will receive a lighter beating. Everyone to whom much was given, and of him, I'm sorry, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. What is Jesus explaining in this passage to Peter? What is Jesus saying to Peter? Is this for me or is this for everybody else? Jesus is saying, yeah, this is for you, bro. You are my disciple. You're my apostle. I am requiring much of you. I've given you an enormous amount of information. And if you pretend like I'm not going to come back, if you say, oh, the Lord's delayed, and we're talking about way back in time of history when Peter was around, it would have been very easy for Peter to say, oh, man, I've got 2,000 years between now and then. i got all the time in the world. But what does Jesus tell Peter to do? You better be ready because you don't know when I'm coming back. You better be busy about doing what, I know you ought, what you know you ought to be doing. And this comes to the question, well, well Pastor John, how, how do I know what I ought to be doing? You know, there was a lawyer that asked Jesus this question. If you've been in church for any amount of time, you know this response. 
In Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, he says this. To, he answers to the question to the, to the attorney. The attorney asks, hey, Lord, which, which of the commandments should we, which one are the most important? And Jesus answered and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the most important, the greatest and the first commandment. We know the will of the Lord. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. Priority number one. That's what that means. There's a lot of things in life that can distract us. We know this as a fact. I am guilty of this even as a pastor. There are a lot of things in life that can distract us. The real question is, are we eagerly anticipating and waiting for the return of the Lord and living our lives as though he could come in any moment? The scripture tells us the first priority is to love God. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Further down in just a few verses after that, in John 14, verses 23 and 24, Jesus is talking and he says to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and will we will come to him and make our home with him. That's the dwelling. We talked about this last week that God does dwell with us. That's the promise that he gives us. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my word. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. This is in, in direct correlation to that passage we read in Revelation 22. If you jump back and look at it, Revelation 22. And he says, the one who keeps the words of this prophecy of this book will be blessed. You see the connection here? God's word, what he says, what he tells us, his instructions, what he's given us in scripture. This is what he's expecting us to follow and live by. It's not my words that matter. My words mean very little. I'm just as much of a man as anybody else in here. I'm human. I'm flawed. I'm broken. God's word is true. God's word is trustworthy. And the thing that he tells us over and over again is, hey, church, are you ready? Are you ready for his return? Are you eagerly seeking out his word? Are you listening to his instructions in your life? Are you paying attention? Are you awake? He contrasts this idea of sleeping versus being awake. Are you awake? Are you paying attention? Are you just drowsily walking through life, sleeping through, showing up on Sunday? That's good. I'm glad you're here. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But God is saying, hey, I'm going to return at any moment. You may have your best performance on a Sunday, and I'm only putting it that way because I lived in a church where I performed every Sunday. The rest of the week was nothing, no relationship with God, no conversation with God. It wasn't in his word. I wasn't talking to him, but I knew how to act on a Sunday. If I had the Lord show up on Sunday, I would have thought I was good. But the rest of the week, that's a whole nother story. See, this is the anticipation, the eagerness, the thing that we are, as we have studied through this book, that we look at and we go, hey, are we really ready for the return of the Lord? Church, are we really, really ready for the return of the Lord? Is there stuff in our heart that we need to deal with? Are there things in our life we have ignored and, and made less of a priority to deal with and work through and figure out? And we've, we've focused on the wrong things and we've let, let Jesus kind of be over here in the peripheral. He's, yeah, he's good. He's, a, he's somebody I believe in. I trust in him. But he's not taking center stage. 
He's not priority number one in your life. I love how Paul says this in that passage in Matthew. Jesus tells us, and the second is like the first. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I love how Paul addresses this this aspect of loving your neighbor as yourself in Romans 13. He does an excellent job in articulating and helping us understand this. In Romans 13, 8 through 14, Paul says it like this. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. You see, the law is all about how we express our love to God and to one another. And he says to him, uh, the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Verse 9, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I love how the Ten Commandments are broken down and Scripture teaches us that the Ten Commandments teach us how to love God and love one another. And here Paul sums it up so clearly. This aspect of committing adultery and this, this, this division, this sin that causes tension and, and chaos and hurt and pain within a family. He says this is, this is not showing love to your brother. This is not showing love to your neighbor. If you steal from your neighbor, it's not showing love to them. You've made yourself a bigger priority than your neighbor. If you you steal from them, if you have this thought of hatred and murder against somebody. Jesus talks about how the very thought and this this root, this bitterness that exists in in a person's heart called hatred is the very first steps to murder. In fact, with the story of Cain and Abel. The Lord tells Cain, hey, sin is crouching at your door. That sin was the sin of hatred. And we know the story ends there that Cain eventually committed murder against his brother. See, this is, this is what we're talking about. Do we love God with all our heart, soul, and mind? Is that priority number one? Have we made Christ the most important thing in our life? And what about our, our neighbors? Are we focusing on this aspect of, hey, we, we have a call as God's people to reflect his character and his behavior to those around us. The key word in both of those phrases is this aspect of love. The love of God. And as the church, who better knows the love of God than us? We have tasted the goodness of his love. We know how favorable he is to us. When we don't deserve it, it's not of our own doing. We, we didn't get it because we were better than anybody else. We got it because he said, I love you. Regardless of how dirty you are, I want you as my own. He's willing to go to the cross for it. I love how as we look at this passage, Paul speaks a lot about this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Beginning in verses 1 through 8, he says, I charge you, speaking to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. We walk through this in Revelation. And by his appearing and his kingdom, he says this, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Preach the word, whether it's convenient or not convenient, in season or out of season. Whether people necessarily want to hear it or they don't want to hear it. Be ready to preach the word. Be a living testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe your neighbors know, hey, there's a Christian. That person knows how to love like nobody else I've ever been around knows how to love. 
They know how to love God. Man, look at the way they live their life. It looks totally different than anything I've ever seen. Look at how they treat people, even people that do wrong to them. Man, they know how to treat people. That's, that's different. That's unique. That's the love of God. Be ready to preach the gospel in season and out of season. He says, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. The scripture is given to us to help us and guide us, instructions. Listen, some of what we read and walked through in Revelation was hard to hear. Was it not? It was hard for me to preach, I can tell you that. Talking about what will, go, what will happen in tribulation, talking about judgment day. Man, that's not easy. Talking about what was going on in the churches is even harder for me to even think about. The things that they allowed to penetrate their, their church that existed in the seven churches in Revelation. Jesus tells them, hey, you have to repent. You have to turn from this. You got to walk away from it. You have to deal with it, really and truly. Here he says the scripture, what we have, his word, is meant for that. Verse 3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itchy ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They will turn away from listening. Look at this. Listening to the truth. And they will wander off into myths. Lies. You could put lies in there. And we talked about this in the two kingdoms. There's only one kingdom that speaks the truth. One is just built on a foundation of lies. You could even say myths. And so the question comes back to, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you taking God's word? Are you studying it? Are you passionately hungry, looking for the truth and knowing how God wants you to live your life? Are you ready? And I love how it says as he continues in this, verse 4, verse 5, I'm sorry. As for you, he's talking to Timothy, to the church, if you will. As for you, always be sober-minded, meaning be ready, endure suffering, it's not going to be easy, do the work of an evangelist, preach the word, share the good news of Jesus Christ, share the testimony of Christ in your life, what he's done for you. And fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. Maybe you've sat here and you're like, man, what are you talking about? You're the pastor. (laughs) Yeah, that's part of my job. That's my ministry. But the reality is this. Every single believer, every single disciple of Jesus Christ has a ministry by which God has called you. You can share the gospel, preach, be an evangelist in your family. You have a ministry. You can speak to people in your family that I, as a pastor, will never be able to influence or talk into their life. You have a ministry. You have a a workplace, the co-workers, people you talk to, people you, you are around all the time that I will never come in contact with. You have a ministry as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ. You have a ministry by which God has called each and every one of you. Are you busy doing the work that God has called you to do? Are you doing the ministry that God has put you and called you to do? Are you ready for him to show up? Verse 6, for I am ready, and I love how Paul says this, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. He knows his time is short. He knows the days on this earth are short and limited. He says, the time of my departure has come. So these are his last dying words to Timothy. And I love how confident Paul is in verse 7. It's absolutely outstanding. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. 
I have kept the faith. Listen, Paul's ready for Jesus' return. You can see that by his confidence. Hey, I've, I've fought the good fight. I've ran the good race. I have kept the faith. I'm ready for Jesus to be here. I'm ready to see Jesus. I want to see him. I've done what the Lord has called me to do. Church, are we ready? As we look around in our community, are we being a light shining bright on a hill that the whole community can see us and say, hey, there's a church that loves Jesus. There's a church that not only loves Jesus, but loves their neighbor. First Peter, First Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 11, he speaks of this in this manner. Humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Saying, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? This is the same message that we walk through the entire book of Revelation. Because he cares for you. Jesus cares for you. He loves you and he desires you, passionately desires you. He cares for you. He says again, be sober-minded, be ready, be watchful. That's that anticipation, that waiting. Hey, the Lord's coming, be ready, be sober-minded, be watchful. And he warns us, hey, the devil, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Peter tells us, resist him. We have the power and authority through Christ Jesus to resist the temptations of the devil and the, the lies and the schemes that the devil is going to lay out before us. We can resist him. We have that authority in Christ Jesus. But it requires us to have that relationship with him where we're talking to him, we're in his word, we're praying to him, we're, we're communicating and saying, hey, Lord, the devil's really coming after me. And I don't know if you've ever felt like this. I know I have. The devil comes at me hard and strong. Man, I'm so glad I got a friend I can go to and say, hey, Jesus, I need some help, man. Feeling weak, feeling tired, feeling worn down. Man, I love it because Jesus steps in and, man, does he take that devil and gives me the strength to say, devil, I can resist you. You have no authority over me. As he tells him to resist him, he says, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering, and this is so powerful, this ties in the aspect of loving God and loving your neighbor, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood. You can say sisterhood too, it's okay, throughout the world. What is he saying? Hey, you're not alone in this struggle to resisting the devil, to saying no to the devil, to making God your priority. We all struggle with it. It's a reality. But God gave us a community of believers where we can rely on each other and so we're not facing that fight all alone. We're not alone in doing this. We're not all by ourselves trying to handle this. He gave us a brotherhood, a sisterhood that we can come together and share our burdens, our struggles, our, our hardships, our difficulties. That's the whole point of church. It's meant to be a community of believers that uplift and encourage and carry the burdens for each other. And here, I love this last part as he continues. It's verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. This is what we've talked through the book of Revelation, his return, his coming. God himself will restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you that's something we have to get excited about that's something we have to celebrate the promises of God right here that he will restore us he will confirm us he will give us the strength to carry through what we're supposed to do he will establish us firmly on two feet he will establish us 
Of course, he gets all the credit to him be the dominion forever and ever. As I was reading 1 Peter, I thought of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29. Such a favorite passage of mine in the Old Testament. Beginning in verse 10, he says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, we walk through the character traits of Babylon in the book of Revelation, the promise is this, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, your, your good. Plans for your benefit, for your good, for your welfare. Plans for you and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. And when you seek me with all your heart. Church, are we ready for Christ to return? Are we actively seeking him? Are we searching for him in every aspect of our life? What's really amazing as we continue this passage, if you'll turn back to Revelation 22. Revelation 22, Jesus gives us an answer. And if you're here and you're an unbeliever, I want you to know this message that I'm about to share with you is not any different for you than it is for the church. Whether you're an unbeliever here or you are a believer, the message that Jesus leaves us with at the very end of Revelation is the exact same message. Revelation chapter 22, beginning in verse 16, Jesus says these words, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the church. Speaking of the entire book of Revelation. And he says, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star... And here I want you to see this. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires to take the waters of life without price, let him come. You see, church, as we walk through this, as we read through the entire book of Revelation, and we look at who the main theme is all about, it's about Jesus and Jesus concludes the book of Revelation by this, this is his heart, this is his character, his desire. If you're a sinner and you don't know who Jesus is, his answer is the same if you know Jesus and you've been living in a way that's not right. He says, come, come, come to me, come to Jesus. I took care of it at the cross. Come to me, come know me, come get to desire me. Know who I am, know what I've done for you. My name's Jesus, come to me. Now I'm speaking of me, I'm talking about the person of Jesus. You know that, right? Like Jesus is saying, come. If you've got things in your life that you have misprioritized, Jesus says, hey, come to me. You've heard the message, you know the truth, you've been in church for a long time. He says, hey, come to me. If you've never called on Jesus ever in your life, you've never made him a priority, you've never sought who he is, you've never went after him, He says to you the same message he says to the church. Come. You want to drink from this water of living water? I'll give it to you free. Free of charge. There's no cost to you. Come. That's the gospel message. So the question. Are you ready? Unbeliever, are you ready? If you've never called on the name of Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as your, your master. Are you ready to meet your maker? I know that's an expression we say. But think about it. Take a minute. Pause. There's nothing else going on in this room. Are you ready to meet your maker? Are you ready to meet Jesus Christ? 
If he showed up in the next 20 seconds, are you ready to face him? Church, are you ready? Can we say we're ready? Is there stuff we need to deal with in our life? Is there things that we have ignored for so long and we've just allowed it to sit in the side and we know the Lord tells us to deal with it, but we just keep ignoring it? Are you ready to face Jesus? We're going to take communion. I'm going to ask the ushers to go ahead and get ready to pass out communion. Feel free to just grab it, get together, and just start distributing it. As I ask this question, are you ready, I also want to give you time to deal with it. I don't think it would be proper if, if I'm asking this question, are you ready, and I not actually give you time to walk through and say, hey, Lord, here I am. Give you the opportunity to come to Christ. And so we're going to take communion. Communion is a very special um, ordinance, if you will. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to the church, and he's giving them instructions about how to take communion and what to do as you prepare for this time. He says in verse 27, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, he will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. And then he says, let a person examine himself. We're not examining the person sitting next to us. We're not examining somebody that's not here. We're not examining somebody on the other side of the room. We're examining ourselves. We're asking that question, am I ready to face Christ? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I in the ministry that I'm supposed to be doing that God's called me to? Are we doing that? Guys, go ahead and start, come forward and distribute, that's okay. You guys can pass it out while I'm talking. He then says, then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, if we judge ourselves according to God's word, what he says, what he tells us to do, truly, we will not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. The band's going to come up here and they're going to play a song. And I want you guys, as you are receiving the cup, receiving the bread... Take a moment and examine yourself. Examine what God has asked you to deal with. Examine your life. What is it that you need to be doing that maybe you aren't doing? What is it that God has touched you with? I don't know. I don't know every single person's heart in this room. But you know who does know is Jesus Christ. And his spirit might be telling you about something you need to deal with. Maybe you need to step outside. Go to the lobby. Make a phone call and tell somebody, hey, I'm really sorry. Or, or hey, I don't care what you did to me. I forgive you. And I want you to know who Jesus is in my life. He's totally changed my world. This is what it's talking about, to examine ourselves. So take a moment, and let's just examine what God has asked us to do. And get our hearts ready for his return. <laughs>